Hello and welcome to the next episode of ADHD Mums. Jules and I are raring with excitement. Welcome to Jules from William Ready. How are you? I am so good. I'm so excited for this chat. It's going to be fun. We were having a laugh because in true ADHD style, I was flying down Nicollin Way on the Sunshine Coast, calling my husband and saying, you have to make me a coffee. I've made myself back to back. Jules cancelled the last one because she was overwhelmed and had overscheduled herself. We've eventually made it and we're only, what is it, like 20 minutes late? That's actually that, pretty that's good. That's actually really good. Podcast by the time we get going. I love that because I'm always late. Always late. So what we're going to talk about today with Jules, Jules DM'd me a while ago and it's taken us a long time to get on the interview Riverside link because that's how we roll here at ADHD Mums. You have the idea, but the actually putting it all together with all the executive function can take a few months. And what I love about Jules and what I wanted to talk about this episode as kind of like a theme would be true inclusion, not pretend inclusion when they say, oh, there's an inclusive environment or you know what it reminds me of is those fucking child-friendly restaurants where all they mean is that there's a high chair. That's their child-friendly kind of version. That doesn't mean playground. That doesn't mean happy staff that have got coloring pens. That just means that there's a random high chair and you must keep your kids seated and quiet. And that's what pretend inclusion is to me. Real inclusion is like a full playground, kids menu, coloring in pens, lots of walking around. And if any adults make any complaints, it's like, well, it's a kids friendly restaurant. So like, shove it. You shouldn't be here if you can't tolerate noise. Absolutely. And I think you have just nailed it there because it, it it's not that hard and the stares that we have had through the years with Will's autism diagnosis, it's just like hurtful, like you don't need to be like that and I think that's what we've tried to do with William since he was first diagnosed going back eight years ago now to let him be who he is and educate people along the way. I remember, and it does get better for people listening out there with kids on the spectrum, ADHD, whatever your kid's disability is, that I found it so isolating at the very start of our diagnosis with William. The stairs, if he would have a meltdown at the supermarket, it was like looking at me like I'm the bad mum. And why aren't you doing something with your child to make him stop yelling? Or I remember this one time at the doctors and I did actually write a blog about it that the sensory overload was just huge for William at the time I think he might have been about four and we had to go I think he had a cold there was there was heaps of people in the waiting room I was really overwhelmed and it just got worse and worse and I was carrying my youngest who was like tiny at the time my little boy rider and I had Will and everyone was staring and not one person just smiled or offered opening of the door and those little things change someone's entire day and it's so important and I just went back to the car that day and I just cried so those little things along the way have helped me try and advocate for true inclusion it's so important it is not hard it's free you can you can literally do the kindest things and it costs nothing but it can change someone's day hugely so let's take a step backwards, Jules, and I haven't even read your bio because I love the fact we're just not going linear in this episode. Let's do your bio and then maybe give us a bit of an overview on your journey, where you've been and what you think is important to share. So Jules is a proud wife. She's an ADHD mum to two beautiful boys. She's a songwriter and she's the owner of 
a company called William Ready. I'll put all this in the show notes, guys, if you'd like to hear more about William Ready after. William Ready is a sensory and educational online store helping families with their products, care and support. The inspiration behind Jules's business was when her son was diagnosed autistic just before his second birthday. And it was that diagnosis that truly changed the way she now views the world. Jules is passionate about promoting kindness, inclusion and acceptance for all and loves talking to other families and sharing how we can help each other. Jules is dedicated to helping other people see that everybody is amazing and 100% needed in this world, no matter how different they are, that we are all exactly who we are meant to be and should never change for anyone. I've actually got goosebumps like fully because we're on video. That is a gorgeous bio. I'm wondering if you're actually a closet journalist. Oh, no, you're a songwriter. Of course you are. (laughs) So welcome, Jules. Do you want to share a little bit about your journey and how that's happened for you in your own words? Yeah, I would love to. Thank you so much. And it gets me emotional, actually. When you read that out, it was like, wow, it has been a massive journey for us too. And it all started, Will was about three years old, diagnosed but just before his second birthday, and that was huge. Toughest time I've ever been through when Will was going through his diagnosis of autism. I was giving birth to my second son, Ryder, and I ended up in intensive care for four days, fighting for life. I developed a condition called HELP syndrome. So while I had family and friends and my husband, Will, I was in one hospital and my youngest son was in another in NICU for four weeks. And yeah, I was pretty sick. So I had the diagnosis at that time and a little boy who who really needed me and my mental health was, was just... You think back and I'm like, how did I ever get through that? But you had to. I had two little boys that I needed to be a mum for. And then we just set on the journey of of being the best role models and support for Will. And it was about three years old. We went through our first real school rejection for William. They didn't accept him at a private school here in Melbourne because of his autism, because he didn't fit in to the way that they wanted their school to work. And it was it crushed me. It was so disappointing. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I was like, they were all about inclusive on their on their website. And it's like, why weren't you giving my son a chance? He's different, but give him a chance. He might prove you wrong. And that's how William Ready, our business, was born. We, we thought, well, if they're not going to accept him, we'll do our own thing. So we started a school readiness program at the bottom level of our house. And we then went on to design our own educational products. We then went on to do sensory spaces in primary schools here in Melbourne and also in people's homes. And then over the years, we've just added to our range. So we've got over 900 products. We're an online store and we've never lost sight that we're all about our community because talking about this, telling people and explaining that acceptance is everything, inclusion is everything. And with our products and with my voice and me advocating for my son, I hope that I can be this small little part in making a difference because we need more representation, I think. I don't want him to grow up thinking that he has to change for anyone. He is who he is and we need to just understand more of our neurodivergent kids and be more accepting of them. So, yeah, that was eight years ago that we received his diagnosis. And along the way, last year, I received my ADHD autism diagnosis, which led me to this amazing podcast. And I'm so glad to be talking to you because I finally found my own journey while helping support my son. And it's been huge. Yeah, absolutely. I I love what you're saying. One thing that I think is really interesting 
is that often we are diagnosed as mothers when our kids get picked up somewhere. And mothers of boys, I think, get picked up a little bit earlier. I think girls even wait any longer to be diagnosed and then their mums are waiting longer as well. And often we've also got multiple kids by the time that happens. So I had three by the time we could figure out that what was going on with my daughter. But at the same time of getting diagnosed, having your children be diagnosed, also getting diagnosed yourself, having no time to process and then having to embark on the early intervention journey. Mm -hmm. I don't like the journey word, but it is a journey because all of those create an absolute perfect storm. And a lot of the psychologists that I've seen have said things like, make sure you take time to process. Now that sounds lovely, but is also an impossible task. So I think there's a perfect storm of stress that happens at this point. Absolutely. And I think I'd heard of the word autism, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what it meant for my family or for William and all of the things that I was going through with early intervention and support and making sure that he was happy and getting everything he needed. I wasn't focused on myself. I was like, as we do, we put everything and our needs to the bottom because we're like, wow, I've just got this huge thing now in front of me and I need to do everything I can to support them. And I will never forget the day I walked back to the car after his diagnosis and minutes before the team of therapists had walked in and said, your son has autism and they handed me a pile of information and I literally didn't know where to start. But you do, you just get going with trying to support him. And that has been the last seven years. I guess for me, it was last year when I looked back at my life and everything that had been going on and I'd seen everything in the media and I was like wow I actually think there's so much going on for me and I was crumbling and and I suppose that's really where it first started for me my husband and I are both with William Ready we run the business together and he went back to a corporate job so it left me to run the business I had my youngest, I had William, I had both of the boys, I had therapy for Will, I had a business to run and I was drowning and I could not cope. And that is when I found my executive functioning just going out the window. I was completely stressed. I wasn't myself. And it was at that point that I thought I need to start focusing on myself and I need to start figuring out how to be a bed a good mum because I just felt like I wasn't doing well at anything and I remember a podcast that you shared a month way back Jane it was like you're like ducks I can't remember the phrase you used but like like a duck treading water and I was like oh my god that was me I saw this person running a business two kids busy 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 loved being busy and always happy and social and I was like that was just I get back home and I was like oh my god I can't keep doing this And yeah, so last year I had been researching myself, lots of things online, and I just remember my husband Andy coming in and I said to him, I think I'm ADHD. I think I want to go down this path and get diagnosed. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, okay, let's do it. And and that was how it started. And it was, he didn't say anything else. And everything since that diagnosis is 100% my inattentive ADHD. I am so glad that I did it for me. I didn't do it for him. I didn't do it for anyone else. I knew that the diagnosis was going to be so validating for me. It was going to explain so much for me. 
And I just knew that medication from reading things and hearing things and speaking to friends, that was going to help me. And it 100% has. And so we went through that process and my husband's been supportive and it's been great. I've learned so much about myself. I'm still learning heaps about myself. And I think it's just, if anyone's listening out there thinking, I just don't, I just don't think I can do it or I don't have the resources or the support, do it for yourself because that's that's 100% what I did. I didn't, I didn't need my husband or I didn't need friends or family and I'm really close with my family. I did it for me because I wanted to be the best version of myself and I wasn't at that time. Well, how could you be if you've got a neurological disorder? How could you be the best version of yourself? It would be impossible. So... How did you feel getting that diagnosis? Did you feel like a lot of people say grief or did you feel positive about it? Some people feel really sad or ripped off. I I was actually, I was relieved and happy. I had been given details of a psychologist or a friend and she'd just been recently diagnosed and she's in her 40s and she was like, she's amazing, go through her. So I got her details. And for me, it was pretty, it wasn't too long. I think it was about a four or five week wait to get into her, which is great because I know, as we know, the wait lists for getting into people are huge. But from there, there was a lot of appointments. We sat down and did Zooms, phone calls, all the assessments. And my husband, Andy, sat in and and gave his little spiel on me and how I've always been. And... I found it really, really validating because it was her telling me what I struggle at and what I am, but it's okay. And I was like, yeah, I do do that, but let's not make it a bad thing. Let's not turn it around to make it seem like everything you do is wrong and everything you do is just completely different to everyone else. And I was like, yeah, this is great. So I found it really, really helpful then went on to the psycho- psychiatrist who, I, again, had been recommended one. And the whole process for me was really quite quick. And if I can, I think I said to you, Jane, earlier, I'll read out what my psychiatrist said to me. So I was a nine out of nine <laughs> for inattentive ADHD, which I've never probably got 100% on anything before which is actually hilarious, (laughs) but easily distracted from mundane tasks is what she had in my report. Has sometimes being a mess, but not being able to clean it. Procrastination takes a long time to get things done. Difficulty initiating tasks, leaving tasks unfinished. Feelings of overwhelm, running late, rushing around, forgetfulness, avoids tasks that require sustained mental effort. Needing to read and reread the same sections to get them to stick in your mind. Misjudging time. Daydreaming. Repeatedly checking her work. Disorganised and needs to cancel appointments at the last minute. And everything is 100% me, is what I just read out. And I was like, yes, I do do those things, but let's try and understand why I do them and let's try and help me get through the days and the three things that were recommended to me were medication if you want to go down that path which I knew I did an ADHD coach or some cognitive behavioral therapy which I am sourcing and trying to find someone that works in with well with me because I think that would be amazing and also high intensity exercise so there were the three things and I've always loved exercise I need to get back into it more than what I do now 
and it was just spot on like those three things it was basic it was spot on and I was like yes so this is what I need to do to better my life and it's funny when I received my diagnosis I had friends and even family actually say wow really okay I wouldn't have I, I didn't I wouldn't have thought that like even growing up with my brother and my sister but you mask it right you, you just get to the end of the day and you're absolutely exhausted. I never understood how I could be so tired and everyone could just get everything done. And over here, I'm just struggling to get the kids ready for school. And I'm like, I need a nap right now. And you don't talk about that. And I think we need to talk about that because everyone else sees me getting on with the day, but I'm just so tired and I can't get up in the mornings. And I'm like, oh my God, another day, how am I going to get through it? So it's when those things happen day and day and day and day after day that it becomes something. And I think that everyone forgets things. Everyone's late sometimes. Everyone has things going on, but it's when it happens daily and it affects your life. That's where you need to source the help. And that's what I did. And I'm so thankful I did. Yeah. And I think the awareness is really powerful too, just to be aware of who you are, how your brain works. And, you know, I suppose then talk to people about that, like your husband, to reduce some of that stigma and shame because for us to reduce that in the world or in Australia, people need to be more willing to talk about how things really are. Exactly. So true. And I didn't want my diagnosis to be an excuse. My husband, we are so different. And when he jumped on my diagnosis Zoom with a psychologist, she actually said, do you know you're, you're autistic, Andy? <laughs> and he said, yeah. I probably am, but I've never felt the need to get diagnosed. So he's undiagnosed autistic. He is very, very goal-driven, very motivated, go, go, go. And I am too, but I just do it differently. And I just need processes that are completely different to him. And I need things broken down and I need to reread things and I need to take a step. And it's been a huge struggle for us as a couple to really understand that. And I really remember the psychologist saying to me, you guys need to be careful how you communicate and how you work because your husband's very black and white and wants to get things done then and there and let's do this and let's do this this way and and you're not like that. And I'm like, yeah, I totally see that. So I think it's been really good for our relationship and it's really important to, I think, recognise in everyone else's relationship that you don't need to change but you just need to work with each other because we are so different as a couple and I never want to make my ADHD an excuse, but I want to let him know that the reasons I am the way I am and that I do the things I do is because my brain is not functioning the same way yours is. <laughs> and that's okay. Let's just work together on it, I suppose. And I'm all about sharing the hard times and because there's been a lot of them and I have huge RSD, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. That was another thing in my profile. And I've always doubted myself and always wondered if I was doing enough as a parent and as a wife and mum and friends and all of that stuff. And he could see that when my report came in that, yeah, you do, you do have this high profile of RSD. So let's try and work at it together. So it's been helpful that you have these supportive people around you. And again, I did it for myself, but it's nice when you've got people that can understand and, and be patient with you, I think is super important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was I put something recently on my stories and it said that, well, this is what the research is now showing. This is just the way we're going. It's not not saying this is black and white. This is how it is. This is just what the research is starting to show, that the neurodivergent population is actually more like 50-50 with neurotypical. So for, for that, I mean, neurodivergent in terms of all mental health, like bipolar, schizophrenia, ADHD, PTSD, depression, anxiety, all of it, all of the things that could be going on for you mentally, if you put them all into one big bucket and call them neurodivergent, trauma included, you would have 50-50 population. And if that's the case, then the world is still operating neurotypically. I think so, particularly in schools. I think the workplace has changed a bit. I think COVID has done some good. Obviously, a lot of awful things have happened there, of course, as well. But if we look at just the positives, I think telehealth and the ability to Zoom and accessibility for people to work differently, I think has been one of the positives that has come out of it. And that has all be able to create more inclusivity, in my opinion, for people who are neurodivergent or work differently or physical disabilities as well. But I suppose then for me, I'm thinking, well, the world needs to catch up because maybe we need to cater for the neurodivergent person because all we're doing is creating lots of different ways of learning, lots of different ways of working, lots more flexibility for everybody, which impacts everybody positively. I was wondering what your thoughts were on that 50-50 and inclusion and and what are your kind of opinion on it? That is so interesting. I'd love to read more about that because so many people don't talk about all the other things like the trauma, the depression, the bipolar, all those things that you just mentioned. I can't remember how many years ago, but it would have been before Will actually, that I went to a GP and she put me through to a psychologist and she diagnosed me with depression. And looking back, that wasn't depression, that was my ADHD. And this is what you're finding, that there's so many people getting diagnosed or misdiagnosed and other people having all of these other things that you mentioned but are silently struggling. And while you said COVID has helped other people with working from home and not being in the workplace that perhaps wasn't the right environment for them, I think it's allowed people to really put forward what they need. So why can't all workplaces have this sensory area that has headphones and fidgets and beanbags and beautiful mats and tunnels or whatever you need? That's what I want for every school, for every workplace. And why can't you work from home if you need to some days because it's too much or you can't drive or you don't want to get the train because the sensitivity to noise is way too much. Like I think we need more acceptance for these products or things that kids need and adults to be better and regulate themselves in a better way because it is a thousand times harder for people who are neurodivergent to fit in a world that is too much for them, whether that be bright lights, loud noises. My son constantly has headphones on. He has sensory overload. Things just are way too much for him. He constantly stims, which is for him, stimming back and forth with something in his hand and he flicks, he stims, he flaps his hands a lot and he has for many, many years. And the thing that he loves is a plastic coat hanger the cheapest plastic coat hanger and he loves them. I don't know what it is about a coat hanger, but he loves it. And he has it at school and they're okay with that. 
he has it when we go to the shops and we limit it when he doesn't need it but when he needs it we give it to him why can't we all be like that why can't we be more accepting of headphones of fidgets of all of these things that that we need to regulate ourselves and understand the world around us a bit better I think we've come a little bit as a society but I think we've come we need to keep going with that because if it's 50 50 now we just need to keep going with that and really push I think and that's what I'm trying to do I don't want Will to grow up thinking that he has to change for anyone or if someone sees him with this plastic coat hanger in his hand that they're going to make fun of him or they're going to tease him or just be intrigued ask questions learn get down on his level that's how we make change we're all different but that's good different is good and I think we need to be more open to just understanding what everyone needs I created our business because and I work from home and it suits me and I think people need more flexibility kids and adults I will forever advocate for that it's so important because you never want the naughty kid which isn't the naughty kid to be taken out of the classroom for something that everyone else thinks he's being the naughty kid he's not being the naughty kid he just needs to get out he needs to run he needs to regulate himself and then he can come back or then she can come back and get back to the classroom and she's had her time and he's had his time outside or they've got their future or whatever it is but we need more of that yeah I agree and I think what are we missing out on by excluding or not catering for people what skills and qualities and gifts do they have that we don't see or utilize because if you look at the most successful people in the world a lot of them and what celebrities aren't a good example because they're not necessarily they might be actors and actresses but you often see that they weren't very popular you often see that a lot of the geniuses and the big breakthroughs that we've had in science Einstein for example he's been diagnosed neurodivergent now and if you look at a lot of those people, even elite sportsmen, the amount of drive that they have, are they neurotypical? Because people that do things like everybody else, sometimes, and this is controversial, this is just my opinion, might not be the most successful. The people that are willing to stand out, take a risk and do something differently are the people that often create massive change in the world that we don't necessarily see. Or I suppose, so if we've got everybody neurotypical and we're forcing people into this neurotypical box well what are we missing out on in the world because I'm pretty sure whoever thought of electricity for example or a flying plane wasn't the person that was getting the A and sitting down nicely I'm pretty sure they were thinking way 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 out into the distance so for me I'm thinking well what are we missing out on by not including these 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 kids and these people that have often got a lot of gifts and maybe they're not being utilised. I love that. I absolutely love that. And it is so true. I've been watching the David Beckham documentary on Netflix. I'm not so Have you seen it, Jane? Oh, I've seen the trailers. Oh, I want to now. You should watch it. He, he was huge in, in soccer, but he is 100% neurodivergent, OCD. There's something. And I'm, I'm only halfway through, but I was like, oh, my God. He was just the biggest superstar in soccer and he was incredible I'm just blown away at how amazing and how the fans were just like crazy over him 
there was 100% something with him. I don't know what it is. And so when he said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, 100%. Like, I think I'm actually glad that there's this whole ADHD big thing about women at the moment. There's been a lot in the media about it's a trend and, oh, you're another one that got diagnosed. And it frustrates me that people are like that because I'm actually glad because it helped me see who I am and it helped me go get a diagnosis for myself. So I'm like, thank you, because I was seeing these things on Instagram and Facebook going, oh, wow, I totally do that. And then I pieced it all together. And and the things that my inattentive have always been like that. I guess for me, it wasn't until my life became so hectic that it came out more. And the first person I rang to get into a psychiatrist, the receptionist said to me, so there's a huge waiting list with our psychiatrist here. And I suppose you're just another TikTok trend, are you? This is the receptionist saying it to me. And I was like, wow, no, but thanks anyway. And I just hung up. I was so shocked. I didn't know what to say that a receptionist of a psychiatrist that I'd been referred to and recommended can be so rude. Like why not encourage people to go be the best versions of themselves? Why, why can't you be supportive? I've had so many friends recently diagnosed and I'm like, yes, because now maybe you'll, you'll, you'll get help and be the best that you can be. How's that a bad thing? How can people be bringing everyone down? And the people that think outside the box, as you said, are the people that change the world and they make things happen. So why would you deny people to think the way they think? Like, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I, I agree completely. And I think as well, it enables us to have a bit of a laugh and build a community. Like every mum is probably in one of those big Facebook chats. There's, there's so many of them, right? With like random groups of people. And then you try and organize a ladies dinner or a mum's dinner or a catch up or something. And I'm pretty open now. I'll just write in there and put, let the ADHD woman have a crack and everyone laughs. And then I booked the wrong time and the wrong restaurant. I book it on a weekend. They're half of the, all the people are away camping and if you're with the right group of people, everyone just has a laugh. So I think that awareness and breaking the stigma is super important because otherwise you do feel alone or I personally have felt very isolated in the past because there's a lot of fucking pretending happening. You're pretending to have it all sorted. You're pretending to have it together. You turn up in all sorts of disarray. You've like I remember, for example, turning up somewhere and I was trying to pretend to have it all together and I opened my, my Kia Carnival's car and like all this rubbish fell out on the ground and I was like, wow, that was confronting. It was like the drop-off line <laughs> and now you can have a bit of a laugh about it. 100%. I think that's what acceptance and inclusion is all about. That's what I try and promote with my son and also now me. Like that is how we create change by talking about it. My friends, my family, I am constantly late everything I was catching up with friends the other day it's actually on the radio last Tuesday for a local radio station and I was like I can't be late I've actually got to get there on time and of course I was late I just my I don't know what it is I just think I've got more time than what I have but that's okay I'm okay to say that people just around me that love me and support me just know that that's that's me <laughs> I am notorious or booking something in and then cancelling it, which I'm so sorry, Jane, because I did that to you too. <laughs> I was like, thank God someone's cancelled. 
I was like, I can't even do my own schedule and I'm terrified of letting anyone down. Whoever even thinks about cancelling is doing me a favour at this point. I was thankful that you were thankful because I was on the same. I hate doing it. It actually frustrates me. Like my brain frustrates me really badly at times and I am working at it. I'm working on it. But I was relieved when you said, yeah, actually, because my, my month is hectic. Let's do it another time. So I was like, oh, thank you, team. That's that's good to hear. But I, I just laugh about it. It's good. If everyone around you that are the most important people in your life know who you are and are okay with who you are and you might take an hour to do something that might take someone 15 minutes, which is me, <laughs> and they're okay with that, well, then you've got the right people in your corner I'm working at it, it's who I am and how my brain works. It's not a bad thing, but it's just other people understanding that that's what I do. And I remember a couple of weeks ago you had on the best friends. One was neurotypical, one was ADHD. I loved that one. How good was that? That was probably my favourite. I hate saying favourite episode, but, like, that was a cracker. It was Amanda and, oh. Amy or Jess? Was it? Sarah. 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 Yeah. And Amanda, I think, was ADHD. Is that right? I think. Yeah. And you were saying to her, but what do you mean you have all these tabs open on your computer? Like, and she was saying something, or like, there'll just be a tab for a cubby house that I'm interested in or something like that. And I was like, like, that's me. Like, if you were to see my desktop on my computer right now, no jokes. I reckon I have over 200 tabs on my desktop and I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. My brain goes crazy when I look at it, but I just, I can't change it. I don't, I don't go to change it. Same as I look at the sock pile and I'm like, I know I have to sort out all the boys' socks. They need socks for the morning. I've got to do the socks. Just do the goddamn socks. But the procrastination and something else will pop up in my mind. I go to do that. And Yeah, it's real. It's actually really real. But I think that episode was really great because it highlighted when Amanda said she goes and gets a cup of tea and she sits down and an email will pop up. And I'm like, yes, that's me. (laughs) That's 100% me. Maybe that's why it takes me so long to do everything. Oh, totally. So let's go back to William Ready for a moment. What are you planning or what is your hope? What is your vision for William Ready? Because I think you're really paving a beautiful path of inclusion. I think you're walking the talk. You are making a difference. What's your goal for that? Yeah, we just want to create a community of people that are supporting each other and that be through our products. I get emails from people saying, can I just talk to you as a mum? Like I've just had my child be diagnosed. Can you just help me? I've had recently a lot of people say, I'm looking at schools, primary schools and high schools. Can you give me some questions about what I need to go in and ask? Because that's huge. You do have to think about different things when you have a child who is neurodivergent, who is autistic, ADHD, has a disability. You do have to ask different questions when you go to a school. I have the best of both worlds with my son, who is the youngest son of mine, Ryder, neurotypical. It is easy for him. And I can say that because I can see both. I see Will and I see Ryder and everything is easy from toilet training to making friends to joining in at activities, everything. So when you have people coming to you asking these things, I want to do all I can to help them, to make them feel less alone. So the community and the people I've met is huge. 
I want to keep sharing Will's brilliant mind with everyone because people need to know that it's okay that he thinks differently. He's amazing. He might not learn the way we all learn, but who cares? He's going to do amazing things. I know he will. I know he will. His memory is incredible. He just learns differently. So I want to I want to keep sharing that. Like you don't have to do everything the same. So up until Will tells me I don't want to see my face on Facebook anymore, <laughs> I'll keep sharing all that is William because I think it's important. We also want to create sensory spaces, but products. So we're bringing in more products so that you can come to us and we can tailor a product for a school, for a home. Maybe you've got a space at home that's not being utilised. We have sports centres even that approach us saying we want to get some stuff together because kids after sport or siblings watching kids at sport need a place to hang out and chill out. So we're excited to bring in these big products, regulation mats, weighted blankets, tunnels, sensory lights, and put these kits together for schools and centres. And that's what we want to do because everyone should have the right to be themselves in every environment. And that's what I want to promote. It's easy to say, yeah, we want to include everyone, but how do we do that? We need to start making bigger changes, I think. And we moved schools, we moved primary schools with Will because we didn't feel that he was reaching his potential at another one. And now he's at a one that, that, that he loves. They love him. He is 100% himself. He has a little box with fidgets and stims, headphones. He stims with everything in this little box and they're completely fine with it. So I would love to share more of our journey in the hope that it helps others be confident and be proud and share their kids because we need to see more of it. Representation is everything. We don't see enough of it on our screens. We don't see enough of the amazing brains of our neurodivergent kids and if everyone understood a little bit more I think it would be a better world for everyone. Yeah I agree I think what you said is so important I'm going to repeat it you said everyone has the right to be themselves in any environment. I feel like I'm going to tagline that up for this podcast episode because that's just a brilliant way of looking at it and I think as mothers we need to continue to talk about it because We don't want to bring our kids in or dim their light or their little heart, their little soul, because that's who they are and that's really important. I think there's enough of that elsewhere. So if we're not fighting for them, then I don't know who is. There's no one. That is, yeah, absolutely, because we are the experts in our kids. We can have all of these people that help us along the way and therapists and all that, but we know our kids best and if we're not advocating for them you're right who is who's standing up for them when when Will got rejected from the school it's like how dare they it crushed me he was never given the opportunity to prove if he fitted into that environment they never gave him that opportunity and that I was so just disappointed but that driving desire to make a change is because of that and that's how our business started because It shouldn't be that you look at someone and you see a diagnosis that they can't do this or they can't do that. I think, and it's been the same with me, I think I've learned so much about myself through my diagnosis that we should all have the same access to everything. Why can't we? Like, it's just the world is a spectrum of different people. Why can't our kids be 
valued in society like like the next person. They absolutely should be. And I'd love to see more training even in schools. I think teachers, I don't know about you, but I don't know what you think about teachers. They're amazing in what they do, but they're never given the tools and the training and the support and the funding to to know what to do in situations where where there's a kid that needs that is completely dysregulated and needs to get outside. And I feel sorry for teachers sometimes. I've had to keep my best one of my best friends had to leave a school because she didn't feel that her kids were getting the support. They're both ADHD and she's moved schools and she didn't want to. And it's sad. So it's really not the teacher's fault, but we need more support in the classrooms. Do you agree? Like, I think it's just huge around classrooms as well. Yeah, I reckon you'll love the neurodivergent classroom. It's a episode with Millie Carr. She's a teacher in Melbourne. And she talked about, we talked about it extensively about the lack of support and professional development time that the teachers get. And most of them are amazing people, but they're under-resourced without the right training and they're drowning. So generally they're trying their best. The intention behind them, I've always found to be really kind-hearted. There's a gap there. And I think it's the amount of support and resources that they're receiving, which for me would be the largest change. I think the teachers want to be able to do more. They can see it, they know it, but it's actually very similar to being a parent, I reckon, because I can see what my kids need. I've just got too many of them often at times where I'm like, this kid needs one-on-one. I really need to sit down and hug him, but there's a fire over here with the other one. And I liken it to being a teacher where I just think, well, I've only got three and this is only a weekend. I'm not even trying to teach them anything. So I'm trying to imagine how a teacher would manage that I'm sure that they would be able to give the best support possible if they had a one-to-four ratio. I don't know what the ratio should be, but I just feel like they don't have enough staff for what they've got. And this is, again, a controversial comment. I'm going to go it again. Is I know in Queensland they've changed it. There's a big outcry within the disability space in regards to the special schools possibly, or I think they've made a decision to finish them up in Whenever that is, you'll probably know more about that than me. So I'm just looking at this going, okay, cool. So the public system is really going to have to step up. The ratios are going to have to change. The funding is going to have to change. The modelling is going to have to change because I think we are in crisis now and I don't know what will happen once we finish up a lot of those special schools because, well, they can't go into the classrooms as they are at the moment. The resources aren't there. I mean, I can't see how it will happen. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I'm with you. I can't see it happening. I don't know how many years it was until they were thinking of bringing this in, and I'm not all over it, but I've definitely heard the plans. It's scary in a way because I 100% agree with you that teachers genuinely want to do all they can. I have lots of family members that are teachers, my sister, my auntie, my mum. I have teachers that are all around me, and they 100% want to do more they want to learn they want the funding to to do more and and be more and and support these kids so it's nothing on teachers I I am just absolutely love that they want to do that and they're and they're amazing at what they do but yes when you have 25 26 27 kids in a classroom with one teacher how are they supposed to manage that You, you just can't when you've got one child over there that's struggling with the noise and you've got another one over here that needs to 
be throwing something or, or doing some gross motor stuff to release some tension or whatever it is and another one that needs to go outside and it's like I feel sorry for these teachers I genuinely do so I don't know how it would work when they're closing these special schools because it's going to be huge it's going to be a huge adjustment uh, I don't know how they would do it and I'd like to know what people think about that have kids in special schools now I've got friends I'd love I actually should ask them because I'd love to know what their thoughts are because are they wanting them to close or are they happy that they're now being forced into mainstream I, I don't know if you've got any friends that are at mainstream like I, I haven't even asked but I know it's probably coming right well, my opinion from the women that I've spoken to who have kids in special school, so I'm just repeating what they've told me. They've said to me that they're actually not happy about it, that they've put their child into a special school for that specialist support. So they're a little bit, this is just me repeating what they've said. They've said that there's a, they are concerned that their child is not going to learn the life skills that they need to learn to hold down a job, catch a bus, buy things from the shops, that their curriculum that they are learning is more like life skills and they're repeating the same things over and over to really hone in those skills that they need to live independently, for example. So to put that child into a mainstream school, they're concerned that those life skills that that child needs to independently live later on are not going to be there. And there's a feeling of terror that I have heard from these mums in regards to, well, I'm getting older. I'm not going to live forever. My child will grow up. And I need them to be able to live independently. And I'm concerned with the changes that, that some of that will be lost. So I am hoping the only positive that I can think these changes will be that I believe that the Australian school system needs an overhaul. And I think that the special schools ending could be the straw that breaks the camel's back in that they completely revamp it. I see people online all the time, for exactly from specifically from the UK, their system over there from what I've seen and heard, he's very good. The ratio is much smaller. Any kind of neurodiversity is catered for very strongly. I see them come, a lot of the women from the UK, and they'll say something like, my child has ASD, ADHD. We're used to a one to three ratio. Where can I get that on the Sunshine Coast? And the Sunshine Coast mums in the pages are like, what? one to three ratio, really? Get a one on 20. Oh, look, depending on what the needs are, but the ratios are incredibly smaller from what I've seen and heard. This isn't, I haven't worked in the UK system. I'm just repeating what I've heard. So I think that if these changes are to come in, we will see changes in the Australian schooling system. And that for me is a winner. How it will work, I don't know, but I think the change is a good thing for everybody. I'm just hoping that whoever organises this, what a huge job that would be. And we know that not everybody's going to be happy, clearly. I don't know how it will work, but I'm very excited to see changes because I can't see it being worse than what it is in the mainstream schools. So I'm hoping the kids in the special schools won't, won't I don't want to use the word suffer or have any negative kind of things that are going to happen there, but I'm hoping that they revamp all the ratios and give all the kids what they need and completely change the Australian system into a more inclusive environment. If you listen to Millie Carr, that's what she's about. She's about an inclusive classroom for everybody. You don't need to have anybody diagnosed or not diagnosed. If you have parents that have diagnosed you or not, it doesn't matter because you're catered to anyway. For example, she uses the example of PowerPoints, just having a PowerPoint running. 
well, what is a kid with ADHD going to do with that? They're kinesthetic learners. They want to actually be shown things. How can we cater for everybody with all of their learning styles? So it's a great question and I am very excited to see what happens and I'm hoping my kids aren't all the way through the system by the time those changes happen. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm totally with you. I'm excited. I have no idea how it will happen. But how cool will it be to have, just thinking in my head here, a classroom full of kids that are using Auslan and that are in a wheelchair and that are ADHD and that are autistic, that need a speech device, that are nonverbal or selective mute or whatever it is. How amazing because then everyone will be like, oh, wow this is our classroom, this is our friends, these are our peers and that's okay. I don't need to, to look at you in a way or I don't need to stare at you because you're like my friend. You're in a wheelchair but like, hey, who cares? Like this is my friend who I'm sitting next to in the classroom and I love him and it, who, who, who cares because we're all one, we're all learning together and we're learning differently and we're learning differently in the way that it helps us and I, I love it. I don't know how it'll work. I'm excited to see how it all comes together but I'm sure, like you said, there'll be a lot of people that perhaps will be very worried and scared how it will come about. Yeah, and I think the other thing is as well that I think often the gifted students get ignored a little bit. So I would imagine someone with a gifted child would be thinking, well, hang on a second here. What about my child and how they're bored at school? They want extensions. Can they skip a grade? Because as a mother, you're just doing the best thing for your child. They're still in some ways diverse because they're not actually an average learner. They might be extremely gifted in an area and how are we catering for them? I would, in my opinion, argue that that child would be 100% fine in that system if it was well supported. So they could be in that classroom that you described. They just need to have enough resources to cater for them as well because instead of catering for the bell curve and, and that, let's cater for people on the outliners, gifted or not but we just need more people in those rooms. Totally. And I think that's where individual learning plans come into place. I think that's why they're huge, that you can all be in the classroom learning the same thing, but you might be at a different level to someone because you're more advanced in maths or your reading's at a different level to someone else, and that's great. You can be learning reading at level 17 and someone in your classroom's reading at level 10. Like, it doesn't matter. That's okay. You're all doing the same thing, but you're at different levels. And Will has an individualised learning plan. He's not secluded in the classroom. He's doing what everyone else is doing, but he's doing the work that he can do, that he understands and that relates to him in the way his brain works. And my neurotypical son is amazing at maths, way better than me. <laughs> he gets that from Andy, not me. And he's 18 to 24 months ahead in maths, so he's in grade two now and he's doing grade four maths and they are giving him grade four maths while he's in grade two neurotypical neurodivergent like everyone should be guided with where they're at and that be okay I think that's what makes true inclusion and you can all be together and learn learn the same yeah, thing differently and I think for Ryder not that I know him but I would imagine that moving you know into a grade four would not be appropriate for him socially he would be much better off to be in ages if we're grouping people let's group them in ages and then get their social emotional skills moving at the age that they're at and then changing the work I think you've made a great point because I noticed when we talked about inclusion not at the school we're at the one before 
the gifted parents were the, the ones that had the problem and the inclusion seemed to be really aimed at the kids that were struggling and then the gifted parents were obviously, yeah, not feeling that they were being catered for. And at the time I was a little bit like, well, can we just pour into the resources with the kids that aren't even reading yet? But now I've kind of taken a step and a step back. I'm like, well, actually, if I had that gifted child, I can understand all they're doing is advocating for their child. And why can't they be catered for? If it is individual as to where they're at, why can't we cater for them as well? It shouldn't just be for the kids behind. I think that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, amazing that you've got kids that they're, their range of, of learning is just so varied and you've got gifted kids and then you've got kids that are perhaps in grade two that might be doing grade one work and, and or, or the other way around or whatever it is. But, yeah, it's I, I don't have all of the answers. I really don't. And I, and I learned from my sister as a teacher and my mum and my auntie and all the people around me that it is a tough gig being a teacher and even during COVID, oh my God, I don't know how they did that with teaching their class. And then also if they had kids, making sure they were okay. And then back in the classroom now and making sure everyone is getting what they need. It is hard and I just admire our teachers 100%. But for me, I've got both of my boys are at different schools, different primary schools, and that's just the way that it's worked. They are where they need to be now and in high school they'll probably be at different schools again and you've just got to go with your gut on what you feel at the time and if you're happy with the learning and the teachers and the support and be the advocate because like we were saying before no one else is going to advocate for them if we don't right we have to be that voice and as you were saying with the gifted kids yeah the, the parents should be entitled to say, but no, I want my child to go to this level in reading or maths or whatever it is because I feel they're ready. And then and that's something that can be discussed between them, but it can be with everyone. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, an interesting subject and I think teachers are just amazing for what they do. It's, it's super hard. It's really hard, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, look, absolutely it is. Let's talk briefly about William Ready because I know you said that you want to do a special code. Do you, do you want to list out like generally what you sell or anything like that that you think is the most popular or people would be the most interested in? And then, of course, don't worry, everybody who's listening to this, we're not going to spit it out quickly verbally. I'm going to just put it all in the show notes. <laughs> I'd love to give the listeners a code to our store. So I've kept it pretty simple, ADHD Mums 10 all in capital letters. So that's 10% off and anything that you, you see on our online store and that's williamready.com.au. So I'm hoping, yeah, we can put it all and I can list it all for Jane as well. But we have educational and sensory products. So we have a lot of tools to help with pencil grips and holding your pencil and pre-writing boards and dotted third books and little puzzles and learning to tie your shoelaces and all that educational stuff, which has just been crucial for Will. And we learn from him when we bring in things that we feel that he needs and then and listen to our followers and customers on what they want. And then we have a huge range of sensory needs and sensory products, weighted blankets, weighted teddies, regulation tunnels, 
regulation mats, all of these things to fit out a regulation zone or a calming space. We've got body socks and even like little squishy things that you need to be flicking or stimming or in your hands and things like that. So if anyone needs to contact me, I am always here. And yeah, please take advantage of that discount code. It will be open for anyone that needs it. Absolutely. Okay. Well, look, I'm going to add all that to the episode notes. Thank you so much for your time, Jules. It's been such a pleasure. And I think you've got such a positive message that we need to continue to share. Thank you. It's been so fun. I love chatting with you. And yeah, I look forward to following along and catching up again soon. Awesome. So if you're listening and you've loved this episode, feel free to give Jules a follow. Go and grab any products that you need. It's great to support other ADHD mums. I am going to put her into my browser of 200 tabs and I'll probably eventually come back and order from you, Jules, at some point. I'll come out of nowhere. That's what I do. I'm either like at zero or 100. I either send like 12 messages or I send none for weeks. So if you've liked this episode, feel free to give us a review. Send me a DM. I always reply to everybody. And thank you so much for listening. 